Can you still hear me okay? Uh, yeah, I can still hear you. you My headphones started working. <laughs> oh, well, praise Jesus, lizard. How about that? <laughs> I was actually, pra I, I practiced this today. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> ah, you were in the car practicing. <laughs> I love it. Hey guys, this is Joshua Toomey from the Talk To Me podcast, and this is my chapter of As the Story Grows. Swish. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I should be realistic. What do you love about music? I am being realistic. As the story grows. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. Boom. Well, I left Kentucky back in 49 and went to Detroit working on assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry cause I always wanted me one that was long and black. One day I devised myself a plan that should be the envy of most any man. I'd sneak it out of there in a lunchbox in my hand. Now getting caught meant getting fired, but I figured I'd have it all by the time I retired. I'd have me a car worth at least a hundred grand. I'd get it one piece at a time, and it wouldn't cost me a dime. You'd know it's me when I come through your town. I'm gonna ride around in style, I'm gonna drive everybody wild, cause I'll have the only one there is around. Welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Um, I never had it so good. <laughs> Things are going well, man. This is this is a delight to talk to you because you and I have been in touch a lot. Uh, we kind of got in touch through the the podcast stuff, and I don't exactly remember how we started kicking it off. Do you? Uh, that was through American Standards. Like they uh, they manipulated you and I and Eric all into getting them on their on their per, uh, on your respective shows, and now here we are. We're all friends now. That Brandon Kellum, yeah, that dirty little bitch. He got us. <laughs> he got got his way around. Hi, Brandon. I know you're listening. I hope I hope all is well. Um, yeah, this is this is going to be a delight. I've been looking forward to talking to you because. I listen to other podcasts that just seem to be like they're already industry people and they talk to their friends every week. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm always like, um, so uh, where do I start? And I'm like digging through Wikipedia, trying to come up with questions and everything. But you and I have been talking. We're kind of, we kind of hang out. I've actually been on your show. I have only have. ever done I've only ever done two podcasts in my life. You're the only person that ever talked to me individually. So <laughs> I felt like, oh, I already know this guy. This should go easy. So no, this will be fun. I'm stoked, yeah. man. Yeah, this will be fun. Let's take a little tour around your, your room there in the back. You have a, I see an Optimus Prime poster. That is badass. You've got Optimus Prime. You got. But, but ladies and gentlemen, Optimus Prime poster. 
next to the Eddie Murphy comedian album poster, like that makes the Optimus Prime poster even cooler. And you know. can't really tell what this is above it, but that's the uh, of USQ Universe collage of all of the uh, you know Kevin Smith movies. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. And then Kevin Smith fan, are you? Yes, very much so. And then in the middle of all that is the the man himself, Mister Johnny Cash. Oh, is that who that is? It's too small. I can't see it. <laughs> oh, JC. What yeah. would JC do? Love Johnny Cash. Oh, I do too, man. I grew up in. Uh, I actually grew up in Hendersonville, Tennessee, which is where he, you know, he lived there for many years. And uh -huh. like my high school uh, in the '60s, he played on my high school's uh, football field for a fundraiser. No and, way. You know his kid. You know, his kid. Uh, you know uh, his kids went there and all that stuff too. So yeah, Johnny Cash is very prevalent in my life, and uh, even all the way to. Uh, you know, growing up, you know, I had friends that would work at the McDonald's and they'd be like, man, Johnny Cash would come through. And they said he would actually pull up to the McDonald's drive through and say, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And he would get like ice cream on Sundays. I'm like, man, that would have been so cool to see. Oh my God, we can stop the podcast right there. <laughs> That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Hello, yeah. I'm Johnny Cash. And there's some idiot 14-year-old that's like, I don't care who huh? you are. What? Who? That's fantastic. <laughs> My uh, my hippie weird ass parents before they got all weird religious on me. Well, no, they were always weird religious on me. But um, my dad played acoustic guitar and knew three chords, and my mom played the auto harp. And uh, yeah, yeah. I caught him, I caught him playing a couple of Johnny Cash songs a few times, and I was like, nice. "But mom, I thought that was the devil's music." <laughs> and, <laughs> so yeah, I'm Johnny had a very cool career of like you know where he would do the the secular album and then he would do a, a religious gospel, a gospel record album. and then he would kind of go back and forth and so you're just you know you get right. you screw with everybody yeah right Dude, my favorite song by him here's the perfect drop because i'm going to put it in here okay i don't even know what the name of the song is because i'm so bad with song titles i don't remember what my own band's song titles are <laughs> but did you ever hear the song about him stealing car parts for 30 years yes and he built a car for like his entire career. Yep. Oh, yeah. And it was that's... all like different sizes. Oh, my God. That's the funniest song. I love that song. <laughs> Between that and the one about the rattlesnake eating him. Huh. I don't know if I knew that one. That's like a B-side. I used to play that in the car for the kids all the time. They thought it was hilarious. He was, he was singing a song to a rattlesnake as the rattlesnake was eating him. And at the end, it swallowed him. And Johnny Cash actually belches into the microphone. Excuse me. <laughs> at the end of the song. <laughs> My kids are like, play the snake song. <laughs> Do it again. I'm getting swallowed by boa constrictor. And I don't like snakes one bit. No, my my uh, my youngest son, he's Elton Cash to me, so I got to throw the nice little homage to Mr. Johnny Cash on oh, my youngest son. Elton Cash? Mm-hmm. Kid set up yeah. the rock star already. Dude, my dad's like, he's gonna drop the last name to me when he gets older. He's gonna be Elton Cash. <laughs> he's gonna be a singer. Your dad used to be in a band, huh? No, I don't know. Whatever. I think so. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's so funny. Like, my kids, like, you know, they'll go to school, and sometimes, like, my, my middle son, he, he'll talk about, you know, oh, my dad was in a band and all that stuff, and he, he's kind of proud of it. My oldest daughter, she's could care less, and then, you know, my baby, he'll be two, so he doesn't know yet <laughs> what dad right. has done. So. so you got three kids total, oldest daughter, middle son, and a youngest son. Yes. The exact same setup that I have. 
Yes, but are yours 14, almost 11, almost 2? <laughs> Mine are 14, 14, and almost 9. Oh, nice. Yeah, I had twins. So you need to catch up with me and pop out the other one. How is having twins? Nope. How is having twins? How do I answer that? Uh, I used to have beautiful long hair that women would brush in college. Yes. I had twins, and now it's gray and thin, and I have no money. And every time I see them, they need $50. It's terrible. Yeah. My son was just asking for some Nike shoes. I looked at him. I was like, you do not ever ask me for Nike shoes ever again because you will never get them from me. <laughs> That's yep. pretty much what I told him. I was like, don't even start. So That's uh, it's too expensive. I understand. So let's back up. Uh, your, kids, right. uh, your kids know about uh, dad being in a band. Uh, yep. Mr. Toomey me here our guests ladies and gents uh he picked up the bass guitar and started playing in bands when he when he was a younger guy and if you if you ever go listen to Toomey's podcast which i highly recommend doing because he kind of just hit the upper echelon he, he's he's you're you're talking to guests that are like i can't believe like 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 i i, I contribute to you on patreon and i get the i get the heads up of who you're talking to and i'm like no way no way. And you sit on another one. I'm like, no way. So you, you kind of got into the new metal thing. You're only a couple of years behind me, but you kind of came in in like the two thousands, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of blown away with where you've gotten in your life. Uh, like you, like your first band recorded with the guy from Cinderella, right? Yeah. Fred Corey from Cinderella produced my, uh, my band's first demos when I was 17 um, and that's actually, it'll go back to the Hendersonville connection because Hendersonville is a suburb of Nashville. Uh -huh. uh, a guy, there was a guy named Mike Richards. He ran this really cool used record store. He was, uh, I used to go there every day after school when I was like 15 and 16. I would sit there and, you know, from the time I got out of school to the time that he closed, I stood there and just listened to him tell me stories about, you know, about going to see Kiss with Vinnie Vincent playing guitar and, you know, all the, all these, oh, right. you know, all these great old shows and just telling me all kinds of crazy stuff. And just, I would just pick his brain and, and, you know, mm. and throughout that time I was starting to play in, you know, little punk bands and stuff like that. And, uh, and one day he, I had just joined a band, um, that later we changed the name to 12 volt negative earth, but we, uh, I was in it for like a month. And it was like my favorite band. Like it was my favorite local band and they needed a bass player. And I happened to be at the practice that the former bass player didn't show up to. And I was just like, I'm a bass player. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just basically took it from there and, and, you know, did you have your bass with you? Like, were you totally prepared? Uh, I wasn't that prepared, but they were at a friend of mine's house who had a bass there. So, I mean, it was, it all kind of worked out. Nice. 12 yeah. volt negative earth. Cause I'm 
Yes, sir. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of a lot of cool stuff, man. When that, that band formed in '96, um, and I, man, when I first saw their singer, uh, they were recording at my friend's house. You know, just doing a little eight-track demo stuff, and like, right. like you know, I was probably three years younger than most of them, and so uh-huh. to me, they were like. I was 15, 16, they were 18, 19, and they just looked like the coolest dude you've ever, ever seen. And, uh, you know, and to this day, you know, I still, like a lot of those dudes, I'm still kind of in awe of just because they were so cool to me back then. And then, uh, yeah, I got in the band, and right at that time, Fred Corey moves to Tennessee, kind of like with everybody else, because we would go to shows, and we would see Mark Slaughter, we would see the Nelson Twins, and we would see, like, like why are all these dudes here? Like, Brett Michaels was, you know, at the car dealership buying cars. I mean, it was crazy. Like, it was that first, <laughs> that initial wave of, like, the glam rock Sunset Strip, you know, moving to Nashville to, to make yeah, it but, in the country. but 12-volt wasn't, wasn't glam. No, no, not at all. So um, I, I'm a little lost on that. Where's the connection between like, like if you guys are going to pick a producer, why Fred Curry of Cinderella? And you just mentioned the Nelson Twins, which congratulations, you're you're the first person to mention <laughs> the Nelson Twins. Yes, and uh, and, <laughs> and Brett from Poison. Like, where's the connection between what you guys were kind of doing, which is. I mean, I know you from Primer 55, yeah. so that was a little bit more like new metal, rap core, that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't ever connect that stuff to hair metal. <laughs> so why Fred? Uh, honestly, it was, you know, it was 96. Hair metal was, you couldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Um, you know, there was, it's actually in some weird ways, you know, when you would say that Fred Corey from Cinderella is producing your record, people would give you the stink eye, like, really? Like, yeah. Right. But, you know, what it boiled down to was, you know, Fred goes into Music and More, which was my friend Mike Richards' store, said he was in town recording bands. I have a band, you know. So right. he, he hooks us up, gives me his number. I call Fred. Fred's like, come on over. We play Fred our crappy eight-track demos. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'd love to record you guys. And we're like, okay. He never charged us a dime, which is probably one of the reasons we used him. But, I mean, it was what? an ima- Yeah, no, he was – he loved – you know, if on the Fred Corey episode of my show, you know, he talks uh, talks really highly of that time period about how much he loved the band and uh, him, how much he just loved, you know, working with us and things like that. So it was a cool experience, you know, obviously like being 17 and you're you're in, you know, studio with Fred Corey from Cinderella, who just a few years earlier was, you know, doing, you know, the, the Moscow Music Peace Festival and, totally, you know, right. and, you know, playing with Bon Jovi all over the place. So. It was that definitely stuff, a learning experience. That stuff was legit, and I'm tired of people not giving it the credit that it was due. You didn't have to like it. I mean, I don't like Justin Bieber, but the guy sells out stadiums. I don't like country music, but if you take the top 10 grossing tours of the year, seven of them are country artists. <laughs> like, Absolutely. You can't, you can't disqualify what they're doing. I just yeah. don't. It's not, my, it's not my shit. You know what I mean? But, I, dude, hair metal was, was a thing. That was like I like remember I mean you're 37 I'm 41 you're yeah. right behind me remember <laughs> like dial MTV oh yeah all that stuff it was it was you all, know, all hair metal and like once in a while a hip hop song would break through you know <laughs> absolutely yeah my uh, my cousins and everything were all a few years older than me so I mean we were listening to when I was like nine and ten I was totally listening to to Molly Crew and Poison and yeah. you know, Warrant and all that stuff yeah so it was it was crazy so you know. When Fred moves to town and he's recording bands, I mean, he had a 
an immaculate studio. I mean, he built this amazing studio, and uh, we got to go in there and, and just basically, you know, learn how to be a band. And, you know, he, he told us a lot of stuff, you know. He was always, you know, very willing to give us input, things like that. And then, you know, even on to Eric Brittingham would – give me bass strings and then jeff labar came to band practice they would come to band practice and and be like you know those two riffs that you you know you know back when you're 17 all your songs had like 14 riffs too many (laughs) and so so jeff was like you should take those two riffs and make them their own song and you know that actually you know our second our (laughs) second instead of instead of this one song you have a whole album (laughs) (laughs) right yeah you know because stop stop trying to be dream theater you're not that good Right, no, not at all. But uh, yeah, yeah, so it was fun. Man. It was a fun time, um, and it was just that kind of that, you know, I'm uh, stars align kind of thing. You know, you know, I have a band. Fred moves to town. We record this amazing sounding demo, and then uh, you know, we just kind of go from there. He sounds rad. Yeah, I, I listened to him on. Um, I want to say it was Josta's podcast where he was talking about his current gig with. Um, he like runs the music for the L.A. Kings. Or yep, he does that. Yeah. Yeah. So I hate him. Because I'm a Flyers <laughs> fan, so screw you and anybody with the Kings. But enjoy your ring that you won with the 2010 Flyers. But, there you go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm okay now. You'll be but, fine. Uh, no, man, that, that's really cool. Did, did Jeff Labar, was his hair, like, like was it pulled back in a ponytail when he showed up for practice? Or was it totally <laughs> teased up like it was in the videos? Uh, it wasn't that bad. I think by that time, you know, Fred always jokes about it because Fred's like at a – like I don't, I don't even know what nationality, but I mean, he's edit this. I don't even remember what he is. Um, you know, he's got some sort of uh, nope, Arabic descent. Yeah, some sort of Arabic descent in him. So his hair is like okay. goofy and curly to begin with, right? And then, uh, you <laughs> right. know, so you know, he always had ponytails and stuff back then. But you know, J- Jeff, I think was just kind of, you know, probably more hair straightener and uh, all that fun stuff back then. I think, I think it's awesome though because people people would probably look at a video like shake me from Cinderella and, and, and people like the snobby music, the wine drinkers of the society would be like, that band sucks. They're not good. There's only a couple parts in the song. It's not that good. Dude, their drummer was like classically violin trained. Oh yeah. And Fred's like, amazing. Yeah. He is like mega talented. And, and, and like, that's what I'm saying. I, I just don't think a lot of those musicians got their credit due because they were like pointing at the camera during the videos and they just look like <laughs> idiots. But I mean, that's what was in at the time, you know, but you know, they had like big bass drums up on racks that had like stupid, <laughs> stupid head. Whatever. I don't know. Whatever. I'd have loved to be in the local scene at that time to where, you know, because you know, drummers were coming to local shows with, gigantic bass drums all around their heads and and like the sound guys they're just like come on man like, <laughs> exactly I really have to- <laughs> can you imagine being a hair band that didn't make it yet back then and like 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 setting up i play like a four-piece john not even john bottom because he had two floor toms but i play like a small drum kit can you imagine showing up and having like a rack system and kick drums in the air and 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 like the local sound guy being like, I hate you guys already. Like, yeah, I haven't even heard anything you play, and I hate you. <laughs> yeah, it's just terrible. Uh, the, the the whole thing though, man. I and mean, one cool thing about about that era too is, you know, I would watch Fred go out into the studio and like play drums, just watching him one on one play drums. And that dude's a monster drummer, dude. It was it was always uh-huh. so crazy. Yeah, he's legit, totally. 
You all right? You're wobbling back and forth there. Oh, no, I'm good. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, 12-volt negative earth, mm-hmm. and uh, you guys did some local stuff and everything, and from there, where was the jump to Primer 55? Actually, let me jump back to one thing, because I know that you want this on your podcast. But Hit me. Go. I've done no research, so please, by all means, help me. I'm just going (laughs) to drink whiskey and let you talk. So 12-volt negative earth, we were like the go-to local band if a a national touring band came through town. So September... Wow, how'd you get that big already? Dude... I I just we just shot for the stars. I mean, that's the same. We pushed it. I mean, it was, you know, the late 90s where it's like 96, 97, 98. We went to Kinko's and, you know, sat up all night making flyers. And we literally went downtown Nashville with buckets of like wallpaper plaster and would plaster like dumpsters. I mean, there was there were 12 volt negative earth flyers on dumpsters probably to this day. You know, they didn't, you know, and then we. You know, just, you know, anything you could find that we could get a flyer on, we would do it. Okay. But, um, and then, you know, that's just like my, you know, my drive and my ambition too, you know, where like, uh, with the podcast, you know, I was shot for the stars for the biggest guests I could get. And Mm -hmm. in turn, you get a couple of those big guests on and then more big guests come on. So it's like, uh, kind of shot for the stars when I was a kid too, because, you know, when I was that age, I wanted to be in a band and I wanted to, to do big stuff. So we pushed it and we played good, good music. Mm-hmm. But, but the story I'm going to tell you about this fateful night, September, 1997, when a, when a young Joshua Toomey opens for Limp Biscuit. It's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up. Everything is, everybody sucks. <laughs> no kidding. In 97. Yeah, and the were crazy they, story. Were they a thing yet? Their uh, first album had just came out. I had heard about them. Three Dollar Bill, y'all. Yeah, Three Dollar Bill, y'all had just came out. Okay. After okay. the show, Fred Durst comes up to us, gives us this whole spiel about, man, you guys need to come down to Florida. You guys need to record with us. You know, blah 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 blah. No way. And we brushed it. We brushed it off because we didn't really know who he was at the time. <laughs> and then a few. And then a few years later. I'm reading this mag, you know, Hip Parader Metal Edge magazine, and it's a uh, interview with Stained. And Stained is like, yeah, we opened for Limp Biscuit in '97, and he came up to us and he was like, hey, you guys are really good. You should come record with me in in uh, Florida, and we did. You know, so that's the. Uh, and Stained the- was uh, I had a uh, I had Amy on the show, and she said that she uh, she had something to do with Stained up in the beginning, and she said she was on board and working for them when Stained was pretty much the biggest band in the world. So. Yeah, way, to go, way to go, dum dum. Yeah, that's me, Mister Missed Opportunities. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, whatever. But what gets me to Primer is, um, so I do that band for, God, I was we started in twelve volt ninety six. I ended up joining Primer in like oh two. So I mean, we we pushed it hard for a good six years. Okay, and um, somewhere right after the first Primer fifty five album, um, they were auditioning bass players before their second album the new release. And I went up to Louisville at the time and auditioned. Uh, it kind of came down to me and Kobe who eventually got the gig. And, um, and then, so they go on to do the second album. They're touring on it. Um, I leave 12 volt negative earth without it, without a gig in mind. I just left because I was, you know, six years in, didn't really see it going anywhere. It kind of peaked and and it was kind of on its decline. And uh, I emailed them, like three or four 
people in music that I knew. And I was like, hey, anybody looking for a bass player? And Bobby Burns from Primer uh, wrote me back about another project where he wanted to do a side project. Hmm. And it was like, all right, yeah, we'll get this side project together after this next tour we go on. Um, you know, whatever. I'm like, all right, that's cool. I'll just go to work and, and try to try to figure something out. And then like the next day he calls, he's like, hey, do you want to play bass in Primer? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> And uh, whoa, whoa, slow down. So you were gonna, you were like, okay, I'm just gonna go to work and wait for him to come off the for the Primer tour, and then yeah. we'll do a side project with the guy from Primer. And the next yes. day he called. Pretty much, yeah. The next day he calls and says that they were having issues with their bass player. Do really? you want to come play on the tour? So I think, and that was like a week or two before um, they were leaving for like a three month tour. So I had to learn, you know, the, this set within, you know, in a few days and get up wow. get up to Louisville for rehearsals things like that okay so let's get honest for a minute like you said i was about to go back to work and then yeah. primer called and they were like do you want to play bass and you were like yes i do uh <laughs> equivalent money decent money or i don't care i just want to go play bass in a band no money had at that point money had no uh it no wasn't even on my music yeah because okay, you, know, just, just you know no 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 i was i was 22 <laughs> oh yeah who gives a and, shit about money when you're 22 and, or i guess i just turned 23 and uh yeah it was like oh i can go on tour for three months opening for opening for dope and skin lab is on the bill before us <laughs> you know and you're wow. like okay cool yeah i'll definitely do that you know cross country tour we ended up doing a photo shoot for metal edge magazine on that tour it was crazy no kidding wow yeah so, but then I ended up getting home and I was flat broke, but you know, it's not like, but <laughs> you know, the experience is what, uh, what, what gets you, what gets you through, I guess. Well, tell us about touring with dope and skin lab. I mean, that's, that's legit. I, you know, l let's, let's set it up as this. I, I, I kind of tapped out on metal through the new metal era. Yeah. Corn's first album was amazing. I remember the Limp Biscuit thing. I saw Limp Biscuit on, um, did they go see? I don't think it was Family Values. Were they on Ozfest in '97? I believe that's the yeah. I believe that's the Ozfest they did with and Snot was on that tour. Uh huh. And that was yeah. when uh, they had the big toilet bowl on stage. Uh, exactly. Yeah, we're Limp Biscuit and we're here to talk some shit. He, uh, Fred Durst climbing up out of the toilet. I remember that. I saw all that and and it was it was unbelievable. They they put on a fantastic show. Wes is a. Uh, West still frightens me a little bit. Oh, amazing. Amazing guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> but uh man, you were a part of that whole scene and I kind of felt like I kind of felt like an outsider cuz I was like I don't I don't understand this whole new metal thing. I don't know what's going on here. Everything's starting to sound like dance music, but really really heavy. It, it was, was a good amazing. It gets a bad rap. It, it's almost like now at this point, you know, in in time it's it's got its own like glam hair metal stigma to it, you know, to where like that new metal era had a, had a really odd, uh, you know, when people look back on it, look back on the big pants and the Adidas track suits and all that stuff, you know, it, it had its, it had its thing going on, 
But I mean, going all the way back, I mean, obviously I grew up listening to Metallica and Slayer and Sepultura and, okay. you know, and it, and it all kind of like progressed into like when that first Korn album comes out, you know, I'm, I'm 14 and it just blows my mind, you know, and then uh, a couple of years later, I'm, I'm moving on to playing in bands and stuff and, you know, I, th- I think had the new metal thing not came through, we probably would have stayed a he- much heavier band. But mm-hmm. we ended up, you know, being very much, uh, y- you know, we had our new metal elements more like the Sepultura new metal more rather than like, uh, you know, like shovel or like one of those bands. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. We didn't oh, have two, we didn't have a, two DJs and and three rap singers. You know. Right. Exactly. I remember seeing Clown from Corn on MTV at like four in the morning at my yes. buddy's apartment for the first time. And I remember being like game changer. Like I knew it. I knew yep. it was like, it was equivalent to hearing smells like teen spirit. I was just exactly. like, shit just got different today. Now just, mo- just at this moment, I was like, wow, there's, there's like some, some, uh, a group of kids from California just set a new bar, you know? Yeah. And, and then I felt like everybody was kind of chasing them for a long time, you know? Oh Yeah. Yeah, and what's crazy, you know, the, and they're still continuing to put out new music, and they're still continuing to dude, right? They're still around. Jeez, wow! And, the, and the, like the latest single is actually not too bad. I was actually really, really surprised in how good it was. Right. So, so yeah, that's what got me through. Um, and then I got th- got through that primer tour, uh, and that was in '03 or '02. Um, and then Bobby, you know, I was still living in Nashville, Bobby Burns and primer was based out of Louisville, Kentucky. So I moved from Nashville to Louisville to join this band. It was myself, Bobby Burns, Prime 55, and then the guitar guitarist, uh, Jay, uh, Jason Daunt of flaw. We were all going to be in a band together and we got that going for a little bit. We did a couple of, you know, uh, cheap little demos, but yeah. it never really moved on. And then in the middle of doing beautiful, Bobby gets the call to go join Soulfly, and he, you know, and so basically, I, I moved myself Later. to yeah, no, <laughs> I moved myself to Louisville, and then he gets the call. I was there that day, and he looks over to me, and like right afterwards, he's like, "Hey, man, I need to talk to you." And what? He, but he did. He was cool about it. He was like, "What do you think I should do?" Type stuff, and I'm like, "You're, you know, you're an idiot if you don't." You gotta go. I think that was, yeah. yeah, I saw Soulfly, and um, wow, yeah, they were a phenomenal band. Yeah, great stuff, man. I always loved the, uh, always loved Max and Sepultura. I loved mm-hmm. Max through Soulfly. I love that you know Max and Igor right now are out doing the Back to the Roots tour. So that's yeah. that's going to be fun. That'll be here in you know in the Louisville area soon. So I'm going to be going to that. Hopefully, grab some interviews while I'm there. What was your favorite Sepultura album? Was it Roots? No, Chaos AD. At a boy. Oh God, I've had that argument with numerous people <laughs> and. uh yeah, Roots was a blah 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 blah. And I'm like, Root, Roots is not not that great. Chaos ID, total game changer. Yeah, no, I mean Roots to me is its own thing. I mean, because you got Chaos ID, you've got Arise, which is a masterpiece in itself, yeah. and then you've got Roots too. So, you, you know, if you put on Roots right now, I'd probably be like, oh man, this is a great album. But the one that you know pulls at my heartstrings is always going to be Chaos ID. Uh huh. Me too. I think it's yeah. the. Uh, I think I think it all comes together during the song Nomad for me. Oh yeah, that 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 that's, <laughs> that that riff just makes me feel like I'm stuck in the sand. Yep, 
with you know what I mean? Well, Baker traveling through, <laughs> moving <laughs> slowly <laughs> in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's the it's go, the go, perfect. Go, 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 go. It just makes you feel like your boots are heavy for no yeah, reason. Exactly. Yep. Uh, I, I love Slave New World. If I could, you know, this one song on the in twelve volt, we'd always joke around cover, like just that, just the intro and just. You know, that's funny because I think that Chaos AD in a weird way kind of influenced new metal. But then I think new metal, you know, uh, new metal influenced Sepultura. We technically, we did the band with, uh, you know, Jay Don from Flaw. And then Bobby gets the call to do Soulfly, and you know I'm basically telling him that he's an idiot if he doesn't do it. Right. So he goes off. He does Soulfly for you know he does like four albums and countless world tours, things like that. Um, and that's '03. And at that point, um, it's a really odd thing looking back on it now. But at 23, I was, you know, what is what is that like seven years into the music business right. and felt felt burnt out. I felt like, you know, I, I couldn't imagine doing another, you know, another, uh, doing another band at 23. I was like, God, if I do a band now, you know, you, by the time you get it go- up and going, I'm going to be 26 or 27. I'm old. And it was a really weird time. So I just I'm pretty old. much, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 23. I'm like feeling old. So, oh so yeah. So, so at that point, man, I just, uh, I just got a job and just started working, um, played yes. a little bit here and there, but, um, what? I ended up being a uh, general manager of a Papa John's. Okay. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So I was, you know, making money for once. Actually got in a decent apartment. got a decent car. Right. And, uh, you know, met the wife at that point, you know, had a kid and just kind of coasted for a few years. And then, um, and then kind of hit that midlife crisis at 27 and, uh, wanted to get back into playing, uh, Picked up the bass, kind of got my name back out there into the mix. I was, I we'd moved back to Nashville at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, found a couple of bands looking for bass players. Uh, got back into a band with some some friends. We did a cool punk rock band called Tall in Tokyo for a little while. Okay. Uh, you know, and then all of a sudden one day I was sitting there and I, I hear rumblings that Primer is going to do a, a B sides album and then do a tour. And so I called Bobby up. I'm like, so are we getting the band back together? And he's like, he's like, well, I guess technically you're the last bass player of the band. So if you want to do it, let's go. And uh, we did another like three months out on the road, uh, you know, just touring again at 27. It was, it was fun. But the, you know, the, the, the original singer left during that tour. We got like some guy off the streets basically to finish the tour out. And it was really absolute terrible mess. Yeah, it was really, it was really bad. I always joke about it being like, we were like poison in the nineties. You know, we would show up to these bars, bar and grills and there'd be like nobody there. It was pretty bad. Why did he leave mid tour? Um, he had some substance abuse issues that, uh, kind of, kind of kept him from, um, you know, continuing on, you know, it was really bad. You would, you would have, you know, songs like loose and, uh, you know, all these jump around songs and he's over there just kind of slumped over the, the monitor singing into the mic all half asleep. (laughs) You know, oh, that won't, you're, try, that you're trying work. to put on a good show and it's, yeah, it doesn't work out. <laughs> that doesn't work. Oh man. Is he okay now? He seems to be doing really well, actually. Um, good. you know, we, I talked to him a little bit on Facebook here and there. Uh, I've talked about having him on the show just to kind of get his perspective on everything. 
that happened back then. But um, but yeah, he seems to be doing really well. I'd like to actually see him and Jay, him and uh, I actually like to see Jason and Bobby, you know, uh, mend the fences and get the band, you know, up and going again. I was always I was always really proud of what we did in that band. Very good. Okay. Okay. So so you went back and recorded a B side album, but you you joined. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm usually okay. wrong. You joined Primer to support their biggest release before you joined the band. You like you kind of you kind of were like you you kind of were like like the album was already out there, and then that bass player left, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. 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 So I'm curious as a giant helmet fan. What did John Stanier have to do with the band? John came in and played on the second album. Uh, and basically, um, that's amazing from just, what, I mean, even if you never even physically met the guy, just the fact that you're affiliated with a band that had John Stanier as the drummer is enough for me to, I don't, I don't care who is listening anymore at this point. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. You know, because I'd auditioned for primer before the second album came out, uh-huh. So I was really bummed out when I didn't get it. And then on top of that, being a gigantic helmet fan, I loved all the old helmet stuff. And John Senior's drums alone, probably one of the most amazing drummers ever made ever. Yeah. And so when I found out that they were recording with him on drums, I was just like, so I was bummed that I didn't get the band. Uh, then I was like super bummed when I, you know, didn't get to play with John. And then when the first single off of uh, the new release came out, I was just incredibly distraught. The song called This Life, mm-hmm. I thought was going to be like this just massive smash hit kind of thing. It, was, uh, it came out on a compilation CD before the album came out, and I was blown away by how good it was. How did they get a hold of John? <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't know the uh, lineage there and how that happened. Hmm. But I know that Basically, you know, Bobby had told the label that he had 10 or 12 songs ready to go. And he basically had 10 or 12 songs worth of riffs ready to go. And he kind of hashed out the album with John on drums. It was like just him and John. So that would be probably such a, just a cool, uh, cool thing. But yeah, I never met him, never talked to him. You know, I couldn't pick him out of a crowd you know, if he walked up to me right now. But I did get to play in a band at one point with Sim Kane of the Rollins band. Nothing wrong that, with was, that. that was cool. He's a, that was a co- super cool dude, but him and him and Henry, I guess at the time weren't on super good terms and me being me being a huge Rollins fan. I'm like, tell me, tell me a story about Henry Rollins, <laughs> you know? So, well, tell me the story that he told you about Henry Rollins. Then. Uh, the main one he told me was, I think it's out there, but I guess, you know, they were in a uh, rehearsal room practicing, getting ready for a tour and Henry had to go and do a phone interview and basically came back with this like look of like you know shock on his face and they're like what was it for and i guess it was like some uh gay magazine had named henry rollins like one of the sexiest rock stars out there so he had had to do this big uh, interview for a gay magazine <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> so well, yeah i think I've, i think i've actually heard henry tell that story too so it's not like breaking news good looking news. dude Got all the muscles, you know what I'm saying? Still holds his own. Yeah, why not? Holds his own very well. Yeah. But yeah. So, but like after 2007, 
you know, musically, I think 12 Volt, actually 12 Volt did a 10 year anniversary of our first quote unquote album in nine, in 2009. Okay. And then really, I haven't even really touched the bass since then. Like I've, you know, play around the house, play for the kids, you know, type stuff, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, uh, you know, plan on getting on stage anytime soon. So you retired, retired, like you don't even play bass anymore. <laughs> You're not doing like a local cover band or anything. You're done. Well, what's funny is I'm in, I'm in Louisville still because my family's here and I didn't grow up here. I didn't grow up playing in bands here. It's not like I just have these dudes I can call and be like, Hey man, let's get a, let's get a band together. You know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's easily done, but right you now. Hmm. So, all right. So eventually the whole thing kind of rattled apart and you, if I'm not mistaken, became a mailman. Yes, I did. You're a mail carrier for the U S government. Yeah. Uh, I got one of nice government jobs. You work for them. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a pretty sweet job. <laughs> you, you will never be one of us to me. <laughs> Sorry. What a, what a bug man. No, 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 no. I'm just making fun of that. Nail no, I'm just fucking with you. No, it's, it's cool, man. Actually, it's one of those, like, if you go back and ask me things that I want to want to have done in my life, you know, obviously, uh, music was one, you know, uh, touring the country is one, but actually being a mailman was something I always wanted to do. And one day no I shit. was like, yeah, I was, like I broke it, broke it down. And I was like, uh, I was like, I'm going to look into becoming a mailman. And I always thought that you had to sign up for the like selective service, but by the time you're 25 and I'd never done that. Okay. And, uh, I looked into it and I guess that was something I had made up myself. And I, you know, when, when did the tests and, and got the job and yeah, yeah I mean, I, that's take a, some sort of civil service test or anything. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it was, a, it was a long, like most jobs I've ever had, you know, you walk in on Tuesday and ask for an application, get your interview on Wednesday and start on Friday, you know, with the post office. It's like, I think I applied in June, had my interview in August, you know, and right. started in September kind of thing. So it was okay. a very long drawn out process. And you've been doing that for how long? Uh, post office is um, a little bit over two years now. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're on your way, man. So you're going to have, you're going to have, you're going to have retirement somewhere in your fifties, right? Uh, I think that I'll probably have retirement sometime in my like nineties. <laughs> okay. I think you all have right. to, yeah, just for, just, no, in all honesty, probably, uh, in the long run, hopefully be done by 65, but okay. All right. You know, I, I, I went and played my, you know, teens and twenties and now I'm paying for it because there are people my age at the post office that are about to retire in 10 years. And I'm just now starting my real life. Right, right, right. I know kind of how that feels. As an exterminator, I'm just entering into my, let's see, this past June was my sixth year. And um, I'm talking to guys that have been like, you know, they're approaching 25. Yeah. Uh, I've already had two guys that have retired from the company uh, since, <laughs> I've, since I've joined in six years. So I'm still like, I'm, I'm still like one of the newest guys and I'm in my That's 40s. <laughs> yeah. So some of these guys have been doing it since basically they got out of high school, became an exterminator, and they're they never moved. They're still making decent money, you know. And and I'm like, uh, I kind of did the career shift thing in my right around where what your age is, you know. So I'm still figuring stuff out, man. Uh, my retirement plan. I already told my wife, um, if I ever die over the weekend, just throw me in the freezer, 
And uh, Monday morning, <laughs> put my uniform on, and then go out and throw me in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then call somebody and say, um, my husband doesn't look very good. <laughs> that's, my, that's my retirement plan. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I'll be dead, so I won't care. Whatever. So, so are you an exterminator like like just bugs, or are you like an exterminator like raccoons or both? Uh, I go up as big as as big uh, as big and including raccoons. That's that's a vertebrae trapping here in Pennsylvania. And yes, I can ah. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. What's the craziest thing you've trapped? <sighs> trapped? Um, skunk. Hmm. In my own yard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that sucks, man. You have to be very, very careful. Um. You have to you have to hold a tarp up and hold it at just the right angle and just the right height, so that as you approach the tar- as you approach the cage, it covers your feet. Because if they yeah. see your feet coming, they'll get upset because ah. they're a nocturnal animal and it's during the day and there's no tarp over them, so all they want to do is spray at that point. So you have to very very slowly approach them and throw the tarp over them, and then you like leave for a while and let them fall asleep, and then you kind of uh, it's a pain in the ass. Wow. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this is a good podcast. I guess we'll talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> We've completely no, isolated everybody listening at this point. But no, this is the part that I really wanted to get to, man. I, okay, I, I appreciate your musical career and the fact that you played bass and you played around and you like toured and you were on like big, big stuff and everything. But everybody can Google that and check it out. I want to talk about the Talk To Me podcast. Okay. Be- eventually, at one point, you decided, hmm. I want to do a podcast. It was and that's how I met you. Yeah, it's so, actually I've, it's been a lot of fun and it's been crazy. Like all the people that I've met, um, you know, through doing a podcast. But the genesis of podcast for me was all the way back to God, even early days of you know listening to NPR in high school and listening to Dave Ramsey for some odd reason and listening to, you know, uh, what's the, what's the guy in the middle of the night, Art Bell, you know, hearing all that, just all those old talk shows. And then I got really big into like sports talk radio and I got really big into, you know, just, just talk shows and in general, just, you know, books on tape. Henry Rollins is getting the van, just talking, you know, things like that. Oh, so yep. good. So good. Yeah. I, I wasted so much of my life trying to replicate uh, replicate get in the van, but with a new metal band. So it's like totally like the weirdest thing, sleeping on people's floors, thinking that's what you're supposed to do. But, I just learned uh, recently that that's, you ever hear the band Ken Mode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where they got their name from, get in the van. Huh. Still everybody now, Mode. From hmm. from uh, Henry Rollins. Nice. Man, right? I love, yeah, I loved it. God, I love, loved all that stuff. But I mean, so fast forward to, you know, a few years ago, I really get into, um, I really get into podcasts. I really start listening to them um, uh, through work. What got you into the, what, get, what got you into it? Um, just really wanted to hear, you know, interviews with bands. Like, are you asking like specific podcasts that kind of got me into it? Yeah, just say Mark Marin because we, that's where we all got in. It, you know what's funny is it was not Mark Marin, and Shut it's up. just. And it's just now, after watching a couple of episodes of his show, I listened to his show, his podcast. For the longest How time. How funny I, is his show? Oh, my God. Oh, it's great so now hilarious. that I get him. 
but I, I didn't want to, you know, it was like when you're first getting into listening to podcasts, you know, it's like, who do you listen to? And like, Oh, you, you got to check out Bill Burr and you got to check out Joe Rogan and you got to check out Mark Maron. Very good. Yes. I love Bill Burr. Yeah. But, uh, just for the fact that he can sit there and talk for what seems to be an hour and change straight blows my mind because when I do my show intros, once I hit like four minutes, I'm like, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, but, man. So, yeah, so I get into podcasting, listening to, I listen to a lot of the interview shows, Talk is Jericho, The Josta Show, okay. uh, a, lot, a lot of that stuff. And I had always wanted to do some form of internet radio show going back, you know, four or five years ago, kind of when internet radio stations kind of started popping up. Cool. I was like, man, I'm trying to figure out how to do that. And then I was like, Listen to enough of those episodes, I'm like, you know, I I know enough people in music that will do my podcast if I ask them to. So mm-hmm. I will. I tested the waters and you know got some really shitty equipment, and uh, you know I I started calling you know calling in favors to people that I had toured with years ago. You okay. know, I was so so my first. You know, in my first 10 episodes, I had Bobby Burns, the Soulfly, Fred Corey from Cinderella, you know, Chris Kale, Five Figure Death Punch, you know, that I knew from it from when I was a kid. That's kind of legit. They're pretty big. <laughs> well, if you want to get really technical, the band 12 Volt Negative Earth, when I left, he replaced me in 12 Volt Negative Earth. So there's actually a 12 Volt Negative Earth album out there with him on bass. So, <laughs> no way. Really? Yeah. Wow. Was 12 Volt ever on a label? No, we always just put stuff out on our own. We did showcases for, we did some TVT stuff. We had interest from Roadrunner, but we never, it never really got that far. Okay. You know, ne- never got, never got past interest in showcases. Yeah, but you're talking, you're talking late 90s. Yeah, late 90s into the early, early aughts, the early 2000s. Putting out stuff on your own, not now we're going back to the band stuff and we're abandoning yeah. the podcast stuff. <laughs> shit. You're, um, Going back uh, late '90s into the aughts and doing stuff on your own—that's a lot different than saying that you're doing stuff on your own in 2016. Exactly, it's a lot harder. Much harder. Much harder to. That's why the all the old stuff. I mean, we our packaging was so limited because we just didn't have like a cool graphic designer friend. <laughs> but you know, I actually had. Um, I'm gonna start dropping names and get people over to my show, but you know, I had I had Mike Mike Sarkeesian of Spineshank on the on the on the podcast, mm-hmm. and we were talking about um, you know uploading your songs to you know to MP3 form, and like for you to get an MP3 made of your song, like you had to know somebody that knew how to do it, and like yeah, you know, it was like the craziest Remember program ever. Back in the day, you had to pay someone to convert to MP3. Now yeah, it's a, now it's a button in iTunes. <laughs> Right. Or, uh, or when I had Mark Hunter of Chimera on and he's talking about doing, uh, there was, there was all this, he was talking about that too, about, you know, they, they luckily had, I think their programmer DJ keyboard player guy was a big computer savvy guy. So, okay, you know, basically that's all pre Napster, all pre, all, all before that stuff, man, getting your stuff online was, was a, a, a pain in the ass to get anything going. I mean, we, I think we had an angel fire website at some point, but other than that, oh, that's about all we had, wow. you know, <laughs> remember that yeah, we all had angel fire sites, but Oh, they were all terrible. <laughs> oh yeah. Such, such terrible stuff. The, the, when MySpace <laughs> hit, 
Go you go you go to the Angel Fire site, you click on the photo section, and then walk away from your computer for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's forever to upload a picture. <laughs> uh, and then sometimes you go there and like you, half of it would load and then it would just stop, you know. You get a little broken picture icon and you're like, ah, <laughs> shit. Get the little construction guy like working on the site. You know, on this. Hilarious, man. Oh, the internet was such a crazy thing. But I will say, you know, my... Uh, first ever real use of the internet. A friend of ours had AOL Instant Messenger, mm-hmm. and this was '97 or '8. Okay. And I'd actually, this is how, actually, this is crazy. To I let him, sorry, for him to let me use it, I gave him a guitar, <laughs> and and so that I could use his AOL Instant Messenger and get on and. I booked an entire two-week tour by advanced searching cities, and then you could uh, their likes were on there. So I would type in Cleveland, Ohio, corn, Limp Biscuit, and some people would pop up, and you would message those people, and you'd be like, "Hey, do you know the cool venue in your town or the cool band in your town?" And a lot of the times they would write me back and be like, "Oh, check out this band." I'm like, "Well, do you know their phone numbers? Anything like that?" I would get their phone numbers and do this like very primitive social networking uh, process of getting my band on tour. But I booked a two week tour pretty much right out of high school using AOL instant messenger. Get out of here. That's crazy. That's like impossible. How'd you pull that off? Well, I mean, you just explained how you pulled it off. Well, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, you know, and then, uh, you know, did, we you all any, our- did you have any shows whatsoever where you guys showed up and the venue was like, we don't know what the hell you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we played a we played a show in Kansas in like those. in like Topeka, Kansas or something and we show up and luckily they were having a show that night, but it was an all death metal night. Nice. And it was like a Tuesday and they're like they looked at us and like you do not know how lucky you are. We never have shows on Tuesdays, but we just happened to have one tonight and yes, you can play. <laughs> and so we ended up playing and, you know, selling, uh, you know, selling tape, you know, telling, selling 12 old of earth cassettes, you know, so. Wow. Yeah. That was the good days. Back in the day. Okay. So we just, we just reverted and went all the way back yeah, yeah. again. But anyway, <laughs> you got into the NPR stuff and you started listening to Bill Burr and, and then Josta and everything. And you started your own podcast because you just decided, uh, I want to do this too, or I think I can do it better. Or I, I just happen to already know so many people this might be easy for me. Like what, what conversation did you have with yourself to get into this? Uh, I definitely didn't think I could do it better. I think I, I knew I could do it too. Okay. And I knew that I knew enough people in the business to get my foot in the door and to get the show, you know, legitimized fairly quickly. I mean, Mm -hmm. I started out, um, you know, obviously, like I said, you know, just hitting up old friends, people I'd played with, you know, people on tour that I, you know, played with. And, and that's the one thing, you know, the, the moral of the story of the whole thing is, you know, just not to be a dick to anybody because, yep. you know, now I can call all those old people and get them on the show and then say, Hey, do you know this or, you know, this person and six degrees of separation with most right. of these people is down to like two. And so, you know, and even back then I was always about, uh, I was always about asking questions and like, even in like the 2007 tour that we did, um, Eric Rogers from stereo mud 
his band was opening the tour. And so I was asking him questions about Joey Z and asking him questions about the, you know, the Lowry brothers and, you know, all this crazy stuff about stereo mud and, and asking all about that. Mm-hmm. And so it's always just kind of been in my nature to be inquisitive and want to hear about, you know, what, what you guys did or like even recording this Fred Corey from Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Hey man, tell me a story about Skid Row. Tell me about the Moscow Music Peace Festival. You know, tell me a story. Like I want to hear, you know, I want, I want to hear people's stories right. grow. Me too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what I'm doing. Very so. good. Yeah, I remember the. I remember Fred Curry talking about Skid Row and how Sebastian Bach was just jumping around the airplane like a maniac. <laughs> Such a great story. I totally picture it too. That's a fun one. Yeah, there's that, and then um, and the other thing too is, I'm not necessarily a super creative person. I have that creative itch. I always talked about doing a one thing to do a solo album or one thing to do, not, not a solo album. Like you're going to buy it because it's me, but you know, just do it, you know, do all the instruments myself kind of record. And what I kind of view the podcast as now is it's almost like a solo band. I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, you do your show all by yourself, you Mm -hmm. know, from, from beginning to end, you know, start to finish getting booking the guests, getting the guests on, putting the music drops in, you know, to all that stuff. It's all you and you're being creative and you're, and you're putting out a product and you're putting out a piece of yourself each and every week. Yep. And so to me, it's like, you know, I've got the podcast, I get to talk to some really cool people and like, you know, the, the year anniversary is coming up and looking back and in the first year alone, I mean, yes. it's like, Freaking Jim Brewer was on my show, and Dave Ellison from Megadeth was on, and, Dude, and like, right? all that. Yeah, let's all talk that about stuff, man. <laughs> you have like holy shit guests. Like you, you told me, um, just mentioned in passing while you and I were just texting or or DMing or something. You mentioned that your one year anniversary is coming up, and I was like, "Dude, I'll totally, I will totally talk to you for your one year anniversary." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real, Megadeth, like. You you talk to a lot of new metal guys and and that's impressive because these guys have toured the earth and and played huge shows and everything and I can't take that from them. Not my favorite style of music, but yeah, Soulfly is what it is, you know. But Ellison, <laughs> crying out loud, you talk to Dave Ellison, man, right? He's like like I've been listening to Dave Ellison since I was a little kid. Since Me I was too. a little kid, yeah, know? like. Uh, I, I'm impre- I'm impressed and I'm proud of you for what you're doing, man. Your your podcast is legitimate, and 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 then, like, when I got to know you, your podcast was just you. You're on like Buzzsprout or something, right? Yeah, you're just some mailman paying for your own podcast, and then <laughs> and then like out of the blue, you're like, I I I'm I'm dealing with um. Why don't you tell us about your relationship with uh? I think it's called uh, Los Anarchy, right? Yeah, Los Anarchy Radio is on the uh, Dash Radio app, and uh, the Dash Radio app is, you know, it's um three million subscribers, and you know the the Dash Radio, yeah, right, and then the uh, Los Anarchy station is on, you know, basically like the out of like seventy stations, you know, da- or the Los Anarchy is probably I think they're like, you know, in the uh, top twenty rated stations on there. And, you know, they got a lot of cool shows. They have a lot of cool, like, you know, uh, black metal shows and death metal shows. And uh-huh. I mean, I do, I do kind of stick out on that one, but it's, you know, they have a lot of punk and um, hardcore. But when I had Tom Hazart on, he was a big part of Lost Anarchy and getting it off the ground and helping out and was a DJ on there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
one day out of the blue, he messages me and he's like, Hey man, do you want to, to replay your shows on Lost Anarchy? And I was like, absolutely. That'd be, you know, that's a huge thing to get it out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he's like, he's like, just add some, you know, add some more music to it. And, you know, you get a two hour block. So my show comes out Wednesday nights, 11 PM Eastern, 8 PM Pacific replays Saturday night at midnight Eastern, 9 PM Pacific, but it also is podcast form still. You can always get it that way. Sure. So, I mean, it's just a cool avenue for the show to, you know, give it the show a little bit more structure and another avenue for it to get out there too. That explains why your shows got so much longer and have multiple guests in them because you have a two-hour block. Yeah. Oh, ah, so, okay. I didn't yeah, Tom, know that. Yeah, Tom was actually the one that kind of came to me and said, you know, do like new interview first hour, quote-unquote classic interview second hour. And that's where I've added the music in and, and really upped the production value of the show. Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. That makes sense. <laughs> explains why your format changed. Okay. Yeah. How's it but going so far? What's that? How's it going so far? With Lost Anarchy? Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's going really well. I don't honestly I don't see a ton of uh reaction from the show. Mm-hmm. But you know, they they say that at peaks, you know, there's a hundred thousand listeners, but you know, I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen a huge uh increase in, you know, talk to me t shirts being sold or <laughs> Facebook likes. So there's not I don't there might be that many people listening, but they're not interacting as much gotcha. as they do when the podcast goes out. I can tell people are, you know, listening more in the podcast world. Okay. All right. Where's the coolest place you're getting like feedback from? Like what's the coolest like country that's out of the blue? Like you get messages from, uh, let's see. Coolest country. This one. I'm still getting, <laughs> I'm still getting from this one. I seem to have, I seem to have, um, smatterings in Canada but honestly nice. like if you go look at my um I'm on I'm on Simplecast and they break it down by country and I, I'm like 86% United States so everything else is like yeah it's obviously Canada is close to 10% and then the rest of the planet is like a couple here a couple there a couple here I'm just saying more along the lines of people actually reaching out to you email straight up yeah. email yeah, yeah I'm blown away how many people are like I used to play guitar in a band with uh, a guy that you had on and um, he told that story wrong and I want to come <laughs> and I want to come on and bitch about it or, or I mean, they don't say it like that, but that's pretty much what they're saying. Um, I think people, people, I'm kind of getting the impression that I'm getting like a weird, like a, not weird. I guess it's intentional, but not really. But I'm I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit of a foothold with the whole like classic Christian metal thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's such a weird, such a weird genre. I mean, like everybody, the tooth and nail solid state thing and everything. Whatever. It was it was huge, and um, it is what it is, and it's still going. But I'm talking like frontline intense, like some of the earlier, like like the induction of Christian metal. And um, it's kind of fun uh, pitter-pattering around in there because I listened to that stuff when I was a kid. I'm still, I'm still a fanboy of like bands like that. And um, I, seem to be, I seem to be getting like super heavy feedback from that crowd. Like when I talk to somebody from Tourniquet or Deliverance, it seems to be like the heaviest people that are like, oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> I've never heard the guy's voice before. It's so cool hearing about Jimmy Brown talking about meeting up with uh, Michael Sweet 
at a burrito restaurant or something. And I'm like, yeah. really? That was like the dumbest story. <laughs> but, but that's, that seems to be where I, I'm resonating, you know, and I'm trying so hard to find my niche and being like, I kind of, I kind of tinker with that a little bit, but I don't want to be known as like the Christian metal from 86 to 91 guy. Right. You know what I mean? Cause I still listen to like Coliseum and cloud kicker and I, I want to like be <laughs> relevant to, you know, like, right. I don't want to just be like a nostalgic, like remember how cool that was back when thrash metal was a thing, you know, but to, to be fair, I'm also 41 years old and that shit mattered. You know what I mean? Right. So, so yeah, I don't know. I, I seem once I think the things that hit me the hardest, the ones that really punch me in the gut are like direct emails where they're like, Trav, I feel like I know you already. You're like a buddy of mine. Cause I've been listening to you for like ever. And um, this is awesome. This is so cool. I happen to know this guy. You should talk to these people if you need help getting in touch with them. Uh, and that that's the kind of stuff that resonates with me the most. That's cool. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying because, I mean, you, you keep bringing up that new metal guest on. And it's like I'm, I never really sat out to be like the new metal show. But when I have new metal guests on, that's like when I get the most feedback right. is, is like – Oh my God! You know, you like a couple of guys from Stuck Mojo's on the show, and like the freaking say, internet like, internet see, blows you, up. You know, you got Stuck Mojo and Seven Dust on. Like, you got them pinned down. Like, obviously, they're like, <laughs> "Hey, Josh," <laughs> you know what I mean, right? <laughs> Which is rad because they were huge. You know, I remember Stuck Mojo and Seven Dust being like bonkers big. You know? Oh yeah. But, but that's that seems to be your that seems to be your niche. So we're all we're all finding our way because the last thing you want to be is just this boring like the same regurgitated <laughs> tell me about the first guitar <laughs> who cares you know oh man yeah it's it's funny the the you know when you talk to your friends which i mean you know a lot of my early guests are people that know me mm -hmm. and so it's like it's pretty easy to sit and just have a chat with your friends and sure and then maybe at that you know at that same time you can kind of break it down and be like all right tell me about you know a little bit something more intimate about your career that you know, as a, as a friend, you're not just going to bombard your friends that are in bands about their, you know, if you, you know, what is that? Leonard Skinner says, if you, you want to talk fishing, that's cool. But if you want to talk about anything else, you know, leave me alone, whatever. Like that's, that's what, whatever Leonard Skinner song that is that Metallica, I think, uh, you know, quoted it at one point. But what I'm saying is, you know, no, you want to leave them alone and not bother them and not be a right. fanboy. Even if it's your friend, you don't want a fanboy out on your friend. But when you get them on your podcast, you can be like, all right, now tell me about, you know, what happened with that. And you can get that story out of them. You know, that's funny you say that too, because let's get real with each other for a minute. Like, all right, we're all fanboys. We're all fanboys. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I don't care how big primer 55 was or how many people know Josh Toomey or how many people know primer or, or what tours you did or something like that. When you get Jeff from carcass on your show, <laughs> there's gotta be this part of you deep down. that's like, Holy shit. I got Jeff from carcass on my show. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like th there's a part of you that's like, let's find the, like, like my, my catchphrase is the whole, like finding the humanity in an industry full of monsters because everybody's like record labels are evil and, and you can't go see a band anymore unless they're on a huge tour. And it's like monster energy vans warp tour. <laughs> and it's got to be some sort of like major conglomerate. Yeah. And like the tickets were like $150 and I'm like, ah, and the whole thing is just gross and sick and you don't like it. But there's still like this, 
connection. Everybody's just looking for yeah. this weird connection in the music thing. And how cool is it to be able to talk to people? Like there's people that I've spoken to that technically were in bands that have done than than the than bands that I've been in. And there's other people that have been in like if I worked till I was 300 years old, I wouldn't sell as many records as I have, you know? And, and like, there, there's a part of you that's like, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that. And fanboy is like such a stupid term. I hate that. It, it, yeah. It's like, we're all fans. Like if you own somebody's album, you're a fan of them. Just looking at my wall. I'm not a fanboy of these people. I'm, I'm, I'm a business partner with them. Like I bought their record. I'm totally into what they're doing and I, and I love them and, and I love what they do and I'm spreading it to other people. Dude, you've never heard of this band. You should listen to this. And that's what we're all doing. Right? Like, like I, I just, I hate the, I hate the whole, like, well, you weren't because you weren't in you too. And you're talking to other people <laughs> that are in bands. You're a fanboy. That's the stupidest shit I've ever heard, man. Right. I think on the term fanboy, I think with a lot of the guests I've had on, so if it's a guest that I had on, like, say, a Dave Ellison, or even like a Jim Brewer, or somebody that I was into when I was 12 and 13 and 14, right? you know, those are the ones that freak me out. Like, even, you know, Jeff Walker of Carcass, you know, I loved Heartwork is one of the most amazing albums start to finish ever made. Yes. Insert Carcass here. Go, right, right. Which song? Which right. song would you like? Not Heartwork. I've already played Heartwork a couple times. Uh, Let's do the first track. Okay. Was, right is that bur- was that Buried Dreams or is that No Love buried, Lost? You don't Buried, buried dream. Alive, something? Buried? Yeah. I'm terrible with song titles, by the Me way. Me too. I'm terrible too. Buried Dreams right here. <laughs> there we go. That was carcass. <laughs> no, but uh, but that you know you get those, you get those yeah, yeah, talk to me. Pew, pew. But you get you get those kind of guys on where you're where you're like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm talking to these people. And there was right? a moment in the in the Dave Ellison interview where I'd asked him about starting a band in 2016 and, and the struggles because he has a record label. So we were talking record label stuff, and and I was like, what's the struggles of a of a new and upcoming band? And he was like, well back when we were on the killing as our business tour and I'm like inside, I just like freaked out because I didn't bring it up. He brought it up and I'm he like, uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. I remember that. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, even with Jeff Walker, we talked some, talked a little bit about heart work and, you know, and, I, and you're like, at one point, you know, you're like, Oh my God, that's the guy that actually wrote that album and, yeah. and, and stuff right. too. Yeah. So, but then, you know, you get into people from, that I toured with, with guys in dope and, you know, some of the guys I've, uh, you know, fear factory and Soulfly and all those guys that I've interviewed, 
I see those guys more as peers. Mm-hmm. So I'm not so I, I'm like one on one with them, and it's kind of a funny uh, thing. But then also I get these new bands, like like uh, an American Standards, or I've had a couple of uh, you know people uh, since I do two interviews a show now. I'll throw them on the end of an episode, trying to you know help them out because I still want to be that guy that helps out the scene and, and yeah, does things like that. But I end up sounding like a dad to those guys because I'm like, <laughs> make sure you guys are flyering and make sure your guys are out there, you know, talking to everybody and, and, you know, drink water, wear a yes. condom. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. All right. Thanks. Ed. When you guys are on tour, make sure you stay hydrated. All right. <laughs> so if you're playing an outdoor festival, guys, make sure there's sunscreen. <laughs> so, but yeah, so there's like, that's like the three levels of, of my interviews. I either get, Hey, you know, like the Chris Farley show. Like, Hey, remember that time you were in the Beatles? You know, that was horror. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Or you move into, you know, joking around with like, I, I just interviewed us dope. That interview is not out either. Might be out by the time this is out. Uh-huh. But I mean, I, you know, I, uh, the first thing he says to me is how are your kids doing? Like right before off. we start the interview and I'm like, man, that's cool. He like, he's like, yeah, I'm still, you know, keeps up with me on Instagram or something. And he's like, yeah, I see that little one's getting big and blah, blah, blah. blah. It's that's like, it's dope. Like the last person you would ever think that would give a shit about your family. But right. you know, he's one of the coolest dudes out there. That's great. That's what, that's, that's what people want to hear. The whole, like what guitar strings do you play? Like just talking to Mark <laughs> from, from embodiment and the famine and everything. He was like, thank you so much for being honest and talking about some of the nitty gritty under the hood stuff that we got into. Cause he said, everybody else that I've spoken to, it's been a while, but anybody else that I spoke to was like, you know, what kind of drumsticks do you use? <laughs> right. That was a cool can, interview. You can Google that. That's dumb. Like, why the hell are you wasting your questions with that? You only have a certain amount of time with these people and you're getting together and asking them the same stuff that everybody else has asked them, you know, but like, like, like you being in primer and, and some of the tours you've done and everything, that's some huge stuff. And there's, there's people out there they're probably like, Oh my God, wow. It's so intimidating. No, it's not. You're another guy that just went back there and like you pulled your pants on one leg at a time. And then you went to catering. You had to eat that day. And I had my like, assistant put my pants on one leg at a time. Yes. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you pay, you're paid help right but um it's just it's just not it's like it's it's everything and at the same time it's not that big of a deal I, there's just people playing music i think with my my input in a primer i never wrote a song i never you know i never really contributed musically to anything i was really proud of the tours that we did um the shows mm-hmm. that we played you know, we played some massive shows. Uh, you know, we played some crap shows too, but we you know we played some huge stuff and to where not a lot of people get that to that level of, you know, selling out, you know, huge venues. In all honesty, 12 old negative earth, we were selling out, you know, twelve hundred seaters in Nashville at one point, you know, on our own, just us and some local bands opening. Um and so, I mean, I had made a ton of my connections through that band. You know, we used to trade shows with Drowning Pool, and we used to trade shows with the band that became Story of the Year, and we used to trade shows with, you know, the dude that's now in Five Finger Death Punch. You know, it's like all those, you know, all those connections uh, right. were out there too. So it's like, you know, we were doing a lot of cool stuff, and that's one thing I've always been is very proud of what I did. I ne- would never look back on anything that I did with, a, you know, a cocked eye or anything. Like that. I mean, I've seen some pictures of me, that I'd be like, what the hell were you thinking there? But, you know, for the most part, musically in my bands and uh, all the traveling I got to do, 
I'll give you this story real quick. Is we my wife put up a like a map of the United States the other day, like a decorative map of the United States okay. uh, on the wall. And uh, my daughter is standing there looking at it, and she's asking me questions about it. And I was like, do you want to see where all dad has played? And I was just like, bam, 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 bam. And, you know, you could just see the wheels turning, and, and my daughter says, she's like, I didn't realize that you played that many places and that many shows. And I'm How like, old yeah. your daughter again? 14. Okay, she's old enough to figure that out. Okay. Yeah, she can. It, it makes more sense to her, you know. So it's it's cool. Yeah, so let's... I need I need uh, some pins and put them on all of the uh, all the <laughs> cities that I've played, but that'd be tedious. I could put the Crocodile Rock up there. <laughs> That's not there anymore. Croc Rock, you play Allentown? Yep, we played there. Primer Beautiful. played there. Beautiful. Yeah. But that's one thing I do remember about that area of the country was the cool history of it all. Like you could just tell some of those houses had been there since the 1800s and, yep. and like such cool architecture and things like that. Like that's the one thing that looking at the map and saying, yes, I played all of these cities. Could I tell you anything about those cities? I could tell you something about maybe a one or two block radius of the club. Right. And that's about it. You know, it's like, as far as you got, cause you had to go <laughs> check you know, did you, yeah. did you go in, you know, when you were in the city, did you go check out this gigantic landmark? No, I stayed at the club all day and did nothing. <laughs> what's the biggest show? What's the biggest show you ever played? Um, People-wise, I remember Primer and Dope, we played at the Rave in Milwaukee, and it was almost seemed like it was sold out and people for miles. It felt like felt like that club like just went on forever and there were people everywhere. Um 12 volt we we played a festival with like hole and everclear and kid rock and we played early in the day but even at that point it was a sea of people it was it was fantastic wow but, you know but then we also played you know primer played in fayetteville arkansas to the sound guy you know so so it's been it's been up and down throughout the right. whole time definitely what was the most memorable show these are such shitty podcast questions. Just bear with me. No, I'm <laughs> shitty podcast questions because of a shitty guest. <laughs> uh, like, what else do I talk to this guy about? You're looking at the clock. Like, do I have enough material for an episode? You're all I could get, dude. Uh, I can get the guys from Stuck Mojo. They all talk to you already. <laughs> right now, I can, hey, I can, hook, I can hook you up, man. Oh, Look yes, as, as the story grows. Yep. Um, most memorable show. Like what's one show where you walked off stage and went, Oh my God. Cause, cause of whatever reason, good, bad, crazy, something flipped upside down. What sticks in your, what sticks in your craw? Like when you were, okay. when you were putting those pins in the map with your daughter, what's the one pin when you stuck in and went <laughs> like under <laughs> your breath? Uh, you know, the one, the one show I always kind of go back to is we played Harpo's in Detroit in like Oh two. Okay. And Primer had been through there a few times before Harpo's legendary venue. Uh, you know, it's right there. It's in a terrible part of town. And there was the one show where they're like, to me, you do not leave the, you know, the, the van or the venue. Just stay here. Don't go wandering off. What do I do? Okay. I go wandering off. You wandered off. Because that's what, you know, you tell me not to do it. I'm going to go do it. I made it about about a half a block around the venue and turned around and went right back because that, that, that is not, a, not a, uh, 
not a good part of town, you know, bars on all the windows, oh. you know, you know, liquor store, liquor store, gun store, liquor store, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's, totally, it's, it's totally that, that, uh, that vibe. Okay. So I came back. So we played the show and this little band called trapped opened the show. And we were just, Heard like, you know, uh, we were three months into this tour. This band had this single called Headstrong that no one had heard of yet. And, <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, our album's doing really well. Do you think we could play right before Dope? And, like, the whole tour package is like, no, you guys are playing first. <laughs> we don't know who you are. Get out of here. Right. So they ended up going on first, and uh, the, the, the rest of the tour package plays. And Harpo's stage is probably 10 feet in the air. Like, it's some crazy you know, thing. And Bobby was like, if you walk to the front of the stage, kids will jump up and punch your feet. And I was like, whatever. So punch I walked up to the, so I walked up to the front of the stage where my feet were, you know, right up on the edge of the stage. And some kid comes flying up, man. And like, just whap punches my feet, like right from the pit. And I'm like, what? all right. So that was, that was probably my favorite primer 55 show we ever played. It was just the whole venue was going crazy. Cool. Classic venue. You know, we're in Detroit, you know, home of all kinds of great hard rock. And uh, that's the one thing I've always been into is the history side of everything, too. So, you know. Wait, that's a thing? People punch your feet? That's what they did. <laughs> and it was a, you know, thing that happened that night. And I guess, you know, that was a thing that had happened prior to that. So, okay, yeah, I'll never, never forget that. Never in my life heard of that before. I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even dawn on me that, oh, I can reach that dude's feet. I want to go punch them. Yeah. Well, uh, the best part was, you know, it was told to me, like, do not walk up there. They will punch your feet. And so, and they did it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Did it hurt? No. Oh, okay. Oh. I have a uh, bionic feet. You do not. Shut up, dude. No, I don't. Bionic feet. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's on the horizon for the Talk To Me podcast? What's the, what's the plan? Just keep <sighs> delivering mail, keep talking to people, and I don't know. I'm just figuring it out as I go. Really, at this point, man, it's just, you know, uh, I continue to get good guests and I continue to, you know, each week the numbers go up a little bit. You know, if if Blabbermouth or the PRP or somebody picks an episode up, obviously those episodes, you know, shoot through the roof. But uh, the consistency of the episodes that don't get picked up by the metal sites are continuing to grow. Um, you know, so it, it's just, you know, it continues to grow. And that's, you know, if if tomorrow I had zero listeners and, you know, each week uh, kind of kept getting worse and worse, you know, I might be like, all right, well, it's time to change it up. But <laughs> I still feel like, I still feel like I'm on a upward trajectory and, um, you know, I'm just learning. Like that's the one thing kind of going back to how this all got started was the other people I listened to at the same time were, you know, the Nerdist and Kevin Smith. Yeah. And you listen to all those guys and they all talk about, you know, just just do it like what's your advice on doing a podcast and mm -hmm. just do it just just get a microphone and yell into it for a little while and do what you got to do and, and then that's what i did that's what my first few episodes sound like garbage and um you know over time i slowly bought some better gear and bought a better computer and and uh you know yeah like i said it just continues to continues to grow so i'm excited with everything uh you know, got some cool guests on the horizon. Don't want to jinx anything because as soon as you say you're going to have a certain guest on, they it falls through. So <laughs> it's like getting the tattoo with the name on it. Don't do it. Yeah, right. That's why I got to get my Trav tattoo covered up. But don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't ever do it. 
I'm looking right now. I want to. I want to make you. Uh, I want to make sure I quote him correctly. Okay. So what happens? So what happens to a podcast when they have a <laughs> when they have a guest like Glenn Benton from Deicide tell Corey Taylor <laughs> <laughs> to fucking blow me? And uh, and then it blows up and crazy stuff happens and uh, PRP picks it up and it gets spread around. What uh what direct effect? I mean, we all know what happened, whatever. But what direct effect on the podcast does that have? Nothing. Just people just buzzing and talking about it, or you see the listens go up, you see uh, your advertising money go up. Like, tell us a little bit about under the hood of a podcast. Um. Well, one thing that happened with that episode was. You know, that was probably one of the coolest things that happened because, you know, he does that. Good old Glenn. And then the next day, Corey Taylor has to go on. A sh- he goes on a show in Tucson, Arizona to basically defend his honor and those comments. And on your he, show. From your show. Yeah, yeah, from my show. And then he also, like Loudwire, I guess, got an exclusive from Corey Taylor about you know, his, his thoughts on Glenn Benton telling him to blow him. And so, you know, he's having to answer all these questions about it and it's all stems from my show, which is absolutely crazy. So you got, you got all that stuff going on, but I mean, yeah, the, the, the listens went crazy. Um, I had actually got a couple of podcasts that I wanted to be guests on. I got offered to come on their shows. No way. Any, anybody you can tell us now, any, any, um, yeah, I just recorded yesterday with the Decibel Geek podcast. That's oh, like, get out! Yeah, I went down to Nashville and recorded with them. We did a Metallica discography discussion. Oh my so. god, I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> It'll I be out this week. I can't yeah. wait to hear how wrong you are. I'm going to shit on everything you say. No, I'm, I was right about everything. Ugh, um, and, then, can't be. and then actually you asked me to come on too. I don't know if it was direct correlation with, uh, with the Glenn Benton thing, but it was all kind of at the same time. I thought it was I asked you to come on because your one year anniversary is coming up. And then and then coincidentally you just happened to be <laughs> that slipknot thing and I was like, No way, that's amazing. I can't wait to talk to him about that. There have been two things said on the podcast that kind of taken a life of their own, and that was one of them. Glenn Benton saying that about Corey Taylor, and then when it had Eric Brittingham on and he's talking about Cinderella never getting back together, uh, that was quoted in news story after news story. And if Tom Kiefer was quoted saying something in that news story, they'd say, well, Tom says this about Cinderella, but Eric Brittingham just told the talk to me podcast that blah, blah, blah. So that was like the story that would never die. Oh yeah. So there were so many interviews out there about, you know, about that one. So I get, I got a ton of listens on that one, a ton of listens on the Glenn Benton one. Um, yeah, I just grew up a huge Deicide fan and I wanted Glenn on the show and uh, luckily I had it. But, you know, both of those comments, Glenn Benton and the Eric Brittingham, I both believe had a little bit of a hidden agenda behind them and it worked 100%. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. All right. I'm because, glad, I mean, the question, to, the question to Glenn Benton, that. yeah, the question to Glenn Benton had nothing to do with Slipknot. So it's no, just kind of weird. I remember that. I remember you were kind of sitting there like, oh, okay. Sure. All right. Well, Thanks for taking the time, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever, Mr. Benton. Yeah. That's always the podcast gold, though. Like, if you can keep the artists going around that hour mark, they start just 
really telling you what they feel. You can tell and, the inhibitions go down, especially if they're uh, like, I, that's why I really like having the camera up because I can tell if people are drinking. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. my God, I just keep this dude going. I just, I'll just keep, I'll just keep, uh, stirring his jiffy pop till they start to go off and then once in a while they're just like yeah and another thing we're going on tour with blah 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 and i'm like oh really you know <laughs> <I love it. laughs> that's like a homeboy you had on from uh what was that tourniquet uh, you know, like the two-parter eric, eric mendez yeah uh-huh. Woo, man <laughs> he needs his own podcast just <laughs> Dude. He's just playing. He's playing guitar halfway through it, and you're like, "I love it." You're like, "Are you going to be doing that the whole episode?" Like, <laughs> I was watching the uh, the little green lights light up, and every time he was like, "So anyway, I'm done talking," and then I'd start talking, and I heard this <laughs> in the background. I'm like, "Dude, you kind of have to stop." There he goes. Now, now you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was a trip, dude. How fun! How fun was that to listen to? That was cool. I mean, that's those are those episodes to where I think that once you become a fan of a podcast, and I'm going to use fan, uh, you know, I am I am a fan of your podcast when it comes out well, Sunday so. nights, Mondays. You know, I listen to it. It's in the queue for Monday from when I'm at work. Um, I really enjoy your interview style and the way you just kind of casually talk to people, and and you know, you're you're quick witted and all that fun stuff. And <laughs> Thank you. so when you see a guest like that, like in when you look down at your phone and you see who's on the next episode of as the story grows and you see it's someone from one of the, the early nineties, late eighties, you know, Christian metal bands. Uh-huh. It's one of those, like you put a smile on your face because you know that, you know, you're ex- how excited you probably were to have them on the, on the podcast. Not going to lie, man. It's, it's, it's pretty rad to be able to have spoken to people who are on vinyl records who are hanging on my wall. You know, it's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. I get that every time I hang out, like even with Jeff Walker from carcass, like I had to, like I literally had to get off of the, the call with him, get in my car and run to work. And I, I was like, I wouldn't even in the drive out of the driveway. And I was on the phone with my wife. Like I just talked to Jeff Walker. If I'm car guy. <laughs> Dude, the like, guy who wrote artwork. I was like, do you understand the voice of, <laughs> you know, that, that voice was just on my show and he's from Liverpool and he sounds, I could have either been interviewing Jeff Walker of carcass or a beetle and it's or Paul McCartney, right? Yeah, exactly. It was like, Liverpool, you know, like, a, you know, caucus. He kept calling. I was like, you know, the, the the accent killed me. And then, you know, he did his uh, talk to me ID. You know, he's like, this is Jeff Walker of Caucus. And I'm like, ah! Caucus, <laughs> that's great. I should start doing those. I should start doing IDs. Yeah, I mean, you kind of do with your intro. Your intro is kind of your I ID. Should, I should do the whole, like, like, you should say it now. You should be like, this is, this is Josh Toomey from Primer 55, and you're listening to As the Story Grows podcast or something like that. <laughs> And then I could take that and use it five episodes from now. Yep. That's too much work. It's too much editing. I don't give a shit. No one listens to my show anyway. That's not true at all, man. (laughs) I see. I sing your praises every time I talk to people about podcasts. Oh man. Well, that's killer. That's awesome, man. Yeah. (laughs) All over the place. If anybody actually made it all the way to the end of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Have have fun editing this one. This sounds like two (laughs) drunk people trying to find their keys. (laughs) Well, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. I uh, I appreciate you bringing me on your show to talk about Nick Menza. I, yeah. I appreciate all the work that you're doing, um, putting out these gigantic episodes with two guests, and they're two hours long and everything, but you're killing it, man. And uh, 
I'm proud of you. As another podcaster who just comes home from work tired and tries to keep his kids away from the microphone and working as hard as he's doing, I'm doing the same exact stuff you are. Um, you're killing it, man. Keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate it, man. Like I said, you know, this is the... I'm I'm honored to be a guest on your show because oh, I, I love it. I love it. honestly, man. It's it's one of my favorites. I'm not even I'm not even gonna lie to you. So. Thanks, man. I appreciate that a lot. And your one year <laughs> anniversary is coming up. I thought you said September second. I think it's technically September eighth. Okay, then you said September eighth, yeah. and I read it wrong. But yeah, the one year anniversary of the Talk to Me podcast is coming up, and I support this guy. I literally support this guy. He supports me. We're trying to help each other out, and. uh this is a good podcast, man. This guy has some phenomenal guests on it, and he likes my show. So uh, what can I say? I'm going to put a link in here to the Talk To Me podcast. I think everybody should go listen to uh, go listen to him talk to some uh, famous musician people. He's got some great conversations. And uh, Josh doing a hell of a job, man. Thank you so much, man. What else we got? You got to cover anything else? I think we covered it all. And if we, if not, we'll get it on the next one or we'll get it when you come on mine again and we'll do all that stuff that. too. We but didn't yeah, cover just, we didn't cover anything. Everything. Where the hell did you get the Eddie Murphy poster? Dude, am I, am I going to have to close out your episode with Eddie Murphy music? Excuse me. I just totally gross. We love you. Take care. Bye-bye.